Good morning and welcome to Evangel Church, a safe place online for everyone to explore faith in Jesus. And this morning we're going to dive deep into generosity. Welcome back. Well, my name is Lisa. If we haven't met in person, I'm so glad that you're here. We asked last week if you have some ideas for preamble to stick them down in the chat and we are going to continue to ask you uh, for your great creativity. But this morning I have some questions um, for myself and for you and so I would love to hear, have some dialogue, have some fun in the chat. Do it with me. So what's the worst haircut you've ever had? My grade eight Yes, my grade eight school photo has to be the worst haircut I have ever had. It was a bob, but it wasn't like a curl under bob. It was like a straight bob with straight bangs and I had braces um, and it was not a pretty look. <laughs> it was pretty terrible. I heard somebody say just today that uh, teens nowadays don't go through awkward phases and it's kind of true. I don't see many preteens or early teens in the awkward phases that I distinctly remember being in. Okay, favorite hobby. Uh, my favorite hobby is probably a lame one, but reading. I really love a good book. Favorite thing to do by yourself? Reading <laughs> with the snacks that I hide from my kids. A favorite grocery item. I thought long and hard about this and I'm gonna have to say apple juice because I really love making a hot apple cider. It's just like super wonderful and comforting to me. And so when I get a whole big thing of apple juice, it's just, oh, I am anticipating. My mouth is already starting to water what's coming and the whole family knows it's off limits until mom is done. Uh, making what I'm making with it. But I'm so glad that you are here with us. I'm really interested in reading your answers below in the chat. And you know what? There is still time. If you want to join us in person at church, you can do that. 10 o'clock this morning, we will be here um, in church. You don't have to register, just come and we would love to see you. But if right now you just feel more comfortable staying online or there's a reason why uh, this is not a wise thing for you to be in person church, we are so glad that we can continue to provide this online experience for you. So with that, I'm gonna pass it over to Pastor Mark. Well, good morning, friends. Welcome to Church Online. My name is Marcus. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel, and I'm so glad that you've joined us here online together. Well, one of the things that I find so interesting about the Bible is kind of the upside-down nature in which we often find uh, a lot of the ways that Jesus lived and calls us to live as well. I mean, all across the Bible, we see these contradic contradictions or what maybe seem like contradictions as the way in which apprentices of Jesus are to live. I'm sure you've heard maybe some of them. I think they've even kind of persisted into our vernacular of like non-Christian life too, where we say, turn the other cheek uh, when somebody strikes us, where we say, when, when you're cursed, you bless. To save your life, you have to lose it for Jesus's sake. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. 
These are all kingdom principles that Jesus both lived in his life and ministry on earth, but also calls each one of us to as well in discipleship. And as apprentices today, we, we find ourselves on that same journey. As we look more and more like Jesus, there are some of those things that are upside down that we live in and, uh, and journey in together. But man, as much as these, these sayings are pithy, as much as they sound great, as much as they, um, you know, when we hear it say like, yeah, that's really great. Uh, they create such a tension in our lives, don't they? Where yes, they, they sound great, they're pithy, but they're often really hard to actually live by. And they cause this kind of tension in our lives because they think that it's a counterintuitive to the way that we naturally live, to the way that we naturally are. And I think this tension exists to, for, for a reason. I think it exists to grow us into a greater likeness of who Jesus is because it resets the default of our humanity over time as we endeavor to look more and more like Jesus each day where our default that is marred by sin uh, is, is slowly and, and over time reset, which is why I think that these things create tension in our lives. And so we're continuing our Gospel of John series today after taking a pause with Pastor Lucas last week. And we're up against kind of another one of those sayings that are kind of upside down kingdom moments. And this one is found uh, in John chapter 6, and I don't think that it causes any less tension than the ones that I've just mentioned before. And so today we're going to look at the tension that comes from holding all that we have, not with tight fists, but with loose hands. Because isn't our nature when we have something placed in our hands, whether that's financial stability, emotional health, um, organizational vitality, that we do everything that we can often to hold on to that. Because it's good, because it's multiplying good things in our lives, in our organizations, in this world. And so we want to do what we can to hold on to that, to keep that in our grasp. I know at least I do. And I do that, I think, because it creates a sense of control in our lives. Where I say, if I hold on to this, if I keep this the way that it is, it will multiply in my life and it will continue to bring good things. But today, as we're going to read in John chapter 6, that the very way for us to experience continued growth, yes, personally, but also I think missionally as we, as we uh, walk with Jesus in accomplishing his mission for, for here on earth, is actually not to hold on to the things that we're given and to hold on to the things that are good, that are placed in our hands, but actually to let go of those things. And I think that's something that Jesus is calling us into today as we read scripture. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Jesus won't multiply what we won't release. Jesus won't multiply what we won't release. And so today we're going to look at a story at what Jesus can do when, when we live that upside down kingdom moment of, of releasing all that we have back to him again. Well, let's read together from John chapter 6 verses 1 to 15. And if you don't have a Bible with us and you're joining us online, we would love to give you either a resource to get one uh, digitally for yourself, or if you live in the Powell River region, to give one physically to you, like an actual Bible. So if you go to myevangel.church forward slash Bible, um, then we would uh, just ask that you fill out a quick form and then we'd be able to get you one as well or it would give you the instructions to find one on the app store. But let's read to together John chapter 6 verse 1 to 15. It says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. 
Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, one of his disciples, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Well, two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Well, there's a boy who, here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that uh, you never leave us high and dry, that you see uh, the need that's around us, not just for what we need like physically, but uh, the, the spiritual need that we have around us, and that you don't uh, respond in a way that, uh, that makes us feel shame for, for our lack or, or feel shame for uh, us looking out across the mission that you've set before us and, and to see our lack, but that you do a, a wondrous work in our lives. And so God, I pray um, that if there are things that we uh, need to have multiplied in our life, that you would begin to do that in our hearts and our, in our minds right now even. God, I pray that as I speak, that my words would be so quiet and that your words would speak so clearly and so directly to our hearts today because we know that you do that by your spirit working in our lives. So we thank you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this passage, like we hear, is set during the Passover, which is a Jew Jewish religious festival where people would actually often pilgrim from kind of all around uh, all the way to Jerusalem to observe the festival. And so it's likely that uh, where Jesus finds himself right now, that there was an, a little bit of extra foot traffic. Um, this place that Jesus went to is actually usually called a desolate place. Um, it was a place that wasn't really like often traveled. And so it was this place that Jesus would often retreat to, to pray and to be alone from all of the crowds. But instead of finding himself alone like he was maybe hoping for, he instead finds a large crowd that has followed him as they saw the signs that he had performed earlier. So it's likely that this big crowd were pilgrims going towards Jerusalem, but were kind of intersected uh, by what Jesus was doing in the area. And so Jesus needed like this little bit of escape. He had just uh, had this big, long teaching moment of defending his authority and also healing people and um, teaching people and showing uh, who he was. And so there was like crowds all around him then. And so he was trying to get to a place where he needed some rest. And instead he finds himself surrounded by a big crowd. And this crowd wasn't, wasn't just big, like it was 5,000 men. And so if you count like, you know, women and children and all the other people that were traveling, it was likely a number that was like a multiple of 5,000. And so instead of reacting, um, maybe like I would, uh, by shooing the crowds away, so that he could have as much needed rest, Jesus instead chose to redeem the moment that was in front of him. That he had compassion on the crowd, that they uh, were following him and, and were in need of something. And he also saw this as a moment for discipleship. 
It says in verse, uh, verses five to six that Jesus turned to Philip as the crowd approaches him and he says, where are we gonna buy enough bread for all of these people to eat? And so it says that Jesus asks Philip to test him. It's like a moment of discipleship, I think, because he already knew what he was gonna do. Jesus had already had the foresight of what action he was going to perform, but he was having a little bit of a moment of discipleship um, with his disciples. And so Philip, one of his disciples, would have seen uh, water turn into wine. He would have seen the cleansing of the temple. He would have seen uh, Jesus heal an official son. He would have seen uh, a lame man restored uh, to full body mobility. But it seems like Philip in this moment is maybe a little bit of a numbers man where instead of seeing the hungry people and their lack of bread through the lens of what Jesus had done previously through those signs, instead he looks at his lack of resources presently. He says, Jesus, like not, not even 200 denarii, not even 200 days worth of wages is enough to feed all of these people. And then another disciple right after that, Andrew says, hey, Jesus, like there's this kid who's here. Um, like he has like a lunchbox snack of like five loaves of rye bread and some two fish. But like, I'm not really sure what that's going to do when we look out and see thousands and thousands of people here. And so when we look at these two disciples, I can easily see either Philip's lack of faith or Andrew's feeble faith and kind of shake my head. Like, guys, come on. Like, you've seen all that Jesus had done. You had seen all of these miracles. You had seen the restoration that he had brought and the regeneration. So, like, why couldn't you believe for this one as well? But how often do we do this exact thing ourselves? How often do we see our presence challenges, our financial situation, our emotional struggles through our lack rather than Jesus's abundance and provision? I know I do, like I said before, I think it's often our default to see things this way. But instead of criticizing the disciples like he was maybe had the right to do, Jesus graciously reminds the disciples and the crowd of who he is by the miracle that he displays to all of the people. And it's interesting to note too that these resources for this miracle comes not from the disciples, who should have known, who would have had um, the, the, the prior experience with Jesus to know that he was a uh, capable of accomplishing great things, but instead from this poor boy who was just kind of bringing along his lunch kit for the day. And we know this boy was likely from a poor family by what he had in his hands. Scripture is like really uh, specific to note that he had five barley loaves and two small fish. Because barley in ancient times wasn't actually, actually often food that you and I would eat. Uh, it wasn't like food often seen for humans. It was actually feed for horses, where barley was like the grain of choice to feed horses. And so that would have been what they used to make this bread, or, or likely they were actually like kind of crackers. And then the two small fish were probably like these little tiny dried sardines. Uh, they were prolific in the Sea of Galilee, the place where Jesus and the crowds are found. And so dried fish was often a way that you could preserve it, that it would last. Um, but they were like these kind of little sardines, like like we would have today as well. And so there was like a feeble uh, meal, maybe not even a meal, but a snack that this little boy had brought to Jesus. It was feeble, it wasn't enough, and yet isn't that often how Jesus works? Where he takes what is feeble, where he takes what is insignificant, and he uses it to accomplish his mission. And he uses it to accomplish his mission. Because this miracle that we see today is one of multiplication, 
where Jesus takes some, a small, feeble amount, and makes much out of it. And he uses it not just to feed a physical need of the people, but later in scripture, as we read through chapter 6, we see that it also points to a spiritual need that's fulfilled as well. And so what I love about this story also is kind of the amount of participation that happens with Jesus. This isn't a discipleship moment that, that's like a watch me and see, but it's a let's do this together moment. Because scripture said that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He already knew that there was going to be a need. He already saw the needs of the people and he already decided in his heart what he was going to do. And he could have absolutely done it all on his own. He could have just taken uh, bread, or he could have made bread appear um, and just happen in front of all of the people. And that would have accomplished kind of the same uh, fulfillment of the need that the people would have had. But instead, uh, Jesus chooses to have the disciples and the crowd participate with him. And so I think he waits for that specific moment. He waits until someone takes what's in their hands and releases it before he makes uh, a miracle happen of multiplication. And I think Jesus says this because participating in accomplishing his mission is actually so much more impactful and it's so much more uh, inspiring for us than just watching it around us. Because the, the disciples and, and the crowd would have had to receive that bread that Jesus blessed and broke. They would have had to touch those crackers and touch that fish and hold it and then break it and hand it to the next person and then see them as they handed it to the next person and so on and so on and so on until this uh, whole crowd was, was not just like given a snack, but scripture says was filled until they were full and then had overflow as well. I think it's intentional that Jesus does this because when we participate together in accomplishing Jesus's mission, we have such a different sense of ownership. When we watch and see what's going on, like it may be um, nice, it may be uh, cool to see, but when we are participating with Jesus in that, when he invites us into those moments, there's something that like happens within us that it's not just something we're watching, but it's ours, where we take ownership over it, where we like have skin in the game when it comes to the mission of Jesus. And so I think he does that because he wants people to not just watch, but to also participate in accomplishing his mission together. And so I think we see this like interesting perspective and that's kind of where the story often stops when we um, kind of explain this, this sign that's, that's shown in John. But as I was re researching for this sermon, I found a perspective that I never heard before. It's not like drastically different, but it brings us a different kind of edge to what may have been happening at that uh, mountaintop with the crowd. William Barclay has kind of three suggestions of what may have happened there. He says either, like this is the first one, it's likely what we've heard before, that Jesus multiplied loaves and fish. That's true, that's what happened, we see that in scripture. He said the second is that Jesus maybe performed this miracle as a nod to the Last Supper, where lots of the wording and uh, just lots of the, the like actions in this story uh, would have pointed forward to the Last Supper, that it would have been like almost a, a moment for people to look back on and remember. But the, the last one and the third one that I want to focus on uh, is this. Barclay says, It is scarcely to be thought that the crowd left on a nine-mile expedition without making any preparations at all. If there were pil pilgrims with them, they would certainly possess supplies for the way. But it may be that none would produce what he had. For he selfishly and very humanly wished to keep it all for himself. 
And then he then goes on to say that this little boy is the only one who offers up his meal to share. And in that offering, Jesus blesses it and uses it to feed the whole crowd until they were full and then even had leftovers. But it makes me pause for a moment and think, you have to wonder what would have been possible if the rest of the crowd had also followed the example of that little boy and also offered what they had. Yes, those 5,000 people would have been fed, but imagine what more could have even been done. Imagine the missional impact that would have happened in that moment. And so this is such an interesting picture to see the contrast in the story about the people's reluctance to offer what they had, and yet the persistent generosity and abundance of Jesus. But Jesus won't multiply what we won't release. And we see this with Jesus uh, only multiplying the boy's food and not anyone else's. Later in this passage that we just read, it says like, and they had leftovers of the barley loaves. Like they make it specific to connect that from what the boy was holding in his hands. But even as he does this, he's so gracious towards the crowd. He's so gracious towards his disciples and doesn't just feed everyone a snack, but scripture records that there are 12 baskets left over as well. And so we see that, yes, Jesus still performs this miracle, but he does this in, in the contrast of the people's reluctance to let go. And so I wonder what would have happened if all of those people also chose to be like open-handed with what they were given, what missional impact could have happened. Yes, Jesus still could have done it. Jesus still will do it, we see that. But I think he wants participators in his mission together with him. So when we look at this passage, when we talk about kind of that concept of placing what we have in Jesus's hands, like what are we really talking about? Like what's a specific thing that we're saying there? Is it our finances? Uh, is it our physical resources? Is it our spiritual resources or our emotional resources that we can offer to the people around us in order to accomplish God's mission? Well, I would venture to say that Jesus is actually in this passage not intending to isolate or comp compartmentalize one of these things, but is rather speaking to all of it. We see that Philip in the story is concerned with the, the financial resources. Andrew is concerned with the physical resources. We see the disciples lack the spiritual resources to believe for a miracle in this moment. And so I think in this passage, it doesn't just speak to one of these things, but I think it actually speaks to all of those things. Because life with Jesus isn't compartmentalized. All that we have is actually his as we respond to what he's asking of us to continue his mission. And I think this season for all of us has caused us to hold on tightly to things that are good to our family, to our health, uh, to those things that we've taken for granted, like going for a coffee with a friend or sitting in a restaurant with your family and sharing in a meal together. I think that one of the things that COVID has uh, done positively is, is, is encouraged us to hold on tightly to those things uh, that are good and that matter. But you know what, I've also, I also think friends that this season has tightened our grip in a way that served us well to simply get through this season but that we must begin to release now that we are coming through this pandemic and renegotiating uh, our participation in Jesus's mission in a new way. Like the mission hasn't changed, but the method certainly has. And so I think those things that we've been holding onto as like a survival mechanism now need to be let go again so that we can continue to participate in Jesus's mission. 
And so I realized that as when I realized that I was preaching this particular passage, I thought, of course I am. Of course this is the one that I'm preaching on. Because as I read this passage, I realized that I needed to preach this message just as much to myself as I did to anybody that hears this message today. Because as I look back at this season, I found my grip tightening in a way that it never has before. See, where I was feeling this tightening was on my mental health. Um, where over the season, I've, I've, I felt such a profound and, and uh, incredible sense of anxiety and depression over the season where um, I would sit in my office and just stare at my screen because I was so overwhelmed with this like just generalized um, sense of, of fear and generalized sense of um, like just stress in my body, in my mind that it was like immobilizing me. Where sometimes I would go home and just sit in my living room uh, doing nothing with nothing on on the TV, nothing on around me and just sit there because I was so overwhelmed in my mind and my body by this like constant feeling of like worry and kind of impending doom that was coming my way. Um, and, it's, and it's been profound. It's been uh, something that's persisted like really consistently where it wasn't just like blips in the radar, but it was beginning to be something that was like continually happening in my life. And yes, I would have good days and yes, I would have days that were not as good, but it was something that was kind of always underlying in this season. And as that anxiety began to set in, I, I felt my grip like tighten tighter and tighter onto basically anything that it could. It was like this survival moment for me where like my grip on, on what I felt like I could do was becoming so tight because I was just holding on for dear life. And I, I felt during the season that if I let go of those things that I, I wasn't quite sure what would be left of me if I did let go. And, and there was a moment where Pastor Lucas uh, and I went out for coffee after, after going to the gym. And so I'm talking through with Pastor Lucas about some of these things and some of the brokenness that I was feeling during this season. And, and I remember feeling so ashamed of, of not admitting that I was struggling with mental health struggles. But instead, I was so ashamed to admit that I felt that my capacity had decreased so much in this season where I realized that I prided myself on the amount of things that I could hold in my hands and juggle at one time that was no longer able in my life to do. And, and to be honest, like I'm still working through some of these things uh, and I know I'm coming out of this season with a bit of a limp. And I think that limp is, a, is right now a shift in my capacity. My capacity where I could hold in my hands had changed and had decreased um, during COVID and, and not as a result of COVID, but I think as a result of my mental health struggles that I, was, that I was walking through. And so will it bounce back? Like maybe it will, sure. Um, maybe it won't. But what I'm realizing as I read this passage is that in the end, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I can hold much in my hands after the season is over. What matters is if I hold what I can with open hands rather than tightly clutched fists, which is what I was doing, which is what I was doing during that season where I was holding on so tightly. So it doesn't matter how much I can hold in my hands, but simply that I was holding them open because it was such a place of shame for me to admit that in this season, I wasn't able to do that. I wasn't able to have as much capacity as I thought that I could. 
But you know what has been so freeing? You know what was the thing that clicked in my mind when I and my heart when I read this passage? Is the uh, realization that God wasn't and isn't measuring the capacity of what I'm holding onto. But what he is, is he is asking me to simply open them. That my measure of goodness, that my measure of success, that my measure of um, my like walk with Christianity, my maturity in Jesus is not about how much I can hold, but with what grip I'm holding it with. That he, the realization that he's simply asking me to just open my hands with whatever feeble amount I have in order for him to work a miracle with the very little that I had to give. What I'm learning is that God is far less concerned about what we can hold and is far more concerned about our ability to release it back to him. Because when I was holding on to those things so much in my life, nothing was multiplying that was good. Nothing was multiplying that was good. It was only when I began to release that, that things were beginning to multiply, that, that shroud in my mind, that that overwhelming fear of anxiety began to slowly lessen. Friends, God doesn't want what you were able to hold in your hands a week ago. He doesn't want what you can hold in your hands uh, a month ago or even 17 months ago before this pandemic. He wants what's in your hands right now, whatever that is, whatever amount that is, and whatever like togetherness that that is. He wants what's in your hands right now because even with that small amount, he does great things. Yes, in your life. Yes, in your family's life. But also we see in this passage to accomplish his mission to not just like nourish our own lives spiritually, but to nourish the people around us who need Jesus as well, who have that spiritual, spiritual um, hunger as well. Because the only thing that holding my fist tightly does is actually prevent me from, from participating in accomplishing Jesus's mission. And we can see that in our story because if the disciples and the crowds kept their fists closed, they wouldn't have been able to receive that bread or pass it along to the next person that needed it as well. And so I think that Jesus is calling us and encouraging us that as we participate in his mission again and in a new way to like open our hands again. When I'm at the gym and I'm lifting something particularly heavy, there's this moment where I'm like lifting and I finish my set and I drop the weight and it feels like my hands are kind of stuck in this grip position. I don't know if you've ever had that or where you're like carrying something up a flight of stairs or whatever and, and you like drop it or, or put it down and you like feel like your hands are stuck like this forever. And so it takes like a concentrated effort when I'm at the gym to like sometimes uncurl my fingers because my muscles want to stay like that. And you know what? It's painful. It is painful to like uncurl my hands like that in that moment because my muscles are so used to staying closed. And so friends, I understand the pain that may come as we loosen our grips on things that we've been holding onto so tightly during this season. But I think Jesus is inviting us into a moment so that he can perform a miracle of multiplication in our lives. Friends, the thing that you've been holding onto so tightly when you let it go will not dissipate and disappear. 
but in fact, Jesus takes those things and multiplies them in your life and in this world so he can accomplish his mission for you and for this world who desperately, desperately needs him. And so yes, it may be painful to let go of that thing, but it will be your freedom. And not only yours, it will be somebody else's freedom too. It takes a step of faith. It may take a little bit of pain, but it will bring incredible things as Jesus multiplies goodness in our lives and in our world. And as we do that, we aren't dropping things to like shatter at our feet, but instead, if we're releasing it, we were releasing it into Jesus's hands, which are safe, which are the very things that multiply that in our lives. And so what are you holding on to in this season that needs to be released so that you can participate in the mission of Jesus again? And as you consider that, as the Spirit works in your heart, would you take that first step in responding? Uh, and, and I want to lead us in a moment today, and it, it may seem a little bit weird because we're, on, on, we're online, but you know what, I think the Spirit works in this way too. I'm going to pray with us, and I'm just going to pray a simple prayer of release. That whatever we're holding on to that needs to be released back to Jesus will be done will, will, will be done by each one of us as the Spirit inspires our heart to do so. Not as I'm trying to like force us or coerce us into doing so, but simply out of a response to the Spirit working in your life. So if that's you today, if you're feeling like you need to let something go, can I just encourage you to, to adopt a posture with your hands of having them out and open before you. And there's no like there's not something like mystical about that or like magical about doing that but i think sometimes when we respond with our bodies that our hearts follow as well that it's almost like this outward um like volition of our bodies for our hearts to kind of follow suit with as well so i want to do that today so if you feel like that is you can you just open your hands as we pray together god thank you so much that we don't have to hold on for dear life to things tightly in our hands but that if there's something that can be used for your good and for your mission in our lives, that you take that and you multiply that. And so God, I pray with open hands today that we wouldn't hold on to our financial uh, situation, our emotional situation, our physical resources, um, what we feel like is maybe our mental ability or capacity with closed clenched fists, because we know that the only thing that does is prevent us from participating in our mission with you. And so God, may we have our hands open today and, and put those things in your hands so that you can multiply and impact not just our lives, but impact this world around us. God, I am so encouraged and so hopeful that you make great and beautiful things out of the feeble that we bring. And so God, I pray that you would do that today in each one of our lives. We thank you, Jesus, that you are doing that work today. May we do that uh, in this moment, but also would we uh, feel just inspired to bring somebody into this situation as well to walk with us. God, we thank you and we love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining us. And I pray that as we have hands open, that Jesus does an incredible miracle in your life today. We will see you again uh, next week. Thank you, Pastor Marcus, for that challenge that God doesn't bless or multiply what we don't release. And how many times have we been like those people in the crowd that want to keep the things to ourselves? May we have hearts like this young boy who trusted God with his lunch, with his fish and loaves. Well, we have a few announcements for you, so stay tuned. You know that I love camp. <laughs> I think that there is just something incredible that happens when we give the Holy Spirit space to move, when we 
wait on him without an agenda in a way that truly it's just not possible on a Sunday morning service. When I was in grade six, I was at summer camp and I remember distinctly this time at the altar when the Holy Spirit spoke to me and called me into pastoral ministry for the first time. And I remember that it just set me on this trajectory that uh, changed the way that I walked out the entirety of my preteen and teen years. At the altar at camp was when I was filled with the Holy Spirit. At the altar of camp is when um, God reconfirmed that calling into ministry. And so I just love camp. It is such a, a treasure in my life because all of these pivotal moments happened right there at the altar because there was space for the Holy Spirit to move. And church, you heard last week that as a church, as, as a, a fellowship with the, the island churches, we are part owners of Nanus Bay Camp. And we have been given the green light. Camp is a go this year. And my heart's cry is that the kids and the preteens and the teens that come to camp are gonna have those moments. Those moments at the altar where they have experiences with God that they can't reason away. Those moments at the altar where their faith is cemented. Those moments at the altar where they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, where God speaks purpose and trajectory over their lives. And we can't do that without you. And so if you are free this summer in August, August 6th to the 8th, 13th to the 15th, or 19th to the 22nd, we need you. We need you in the kitchen. We need you running sports teams. We need you doing security. We need you. We have all sorts of roles where we can fit you in. There's a place for you. But would you help make that altar moment happen for a child, a preteen, or a teenager this summer. And parents, would you make that happen for your kids? There is space now open for all three camps. And so if you want your kid to come to Nanus Bay Camp this summer, don't wait. <laughs> Talk to myself or Pastor Marcus or visit nanusbaycamp.ca. And as part of what we do here at Evangel Church, Nanus Bay is actually one of our missions partners or our global partners. We uh, come alongside to financially support the camps so that they can continue to supplement the life change that happens within your home and within the local church. And so if you would like to help be a part of what is happening at camp, in this city, in this church, we would greatly appreciate your generosity. You can head over to myevangel.church forward slash give, myevangel.church forward slash give, and all of the ways that you can partner financially with Evangel Church are listed right there. So thank you again so much for your faithfulness to give in this season. Well, it has been so great to be with you today and we are just so challenged by that message by Pastor Marcus that, you know, God doesn't multiply and he doesn't bless the things that we don't release. And so what a great tie into just this reminder 
that we all have an ownership part to play in what God is doing here in our city and beyond. Have a great week. God bless. Thank you.